welcome to the Supergirl Supercast, part of the incomparable family of podcasts. Today we're going to be talking about Season 3, Episode 4 of Supergirl, and uh, that's called The Faithful, is the episode title. I'm Trishy Matson. I'm Brianna Toiber. And I'm Mandy Self. And I believe one of you is going to give us a recap for the episode. Right. A uh, brief recap. So this episode really centered on uh, a man who was saved by Supergirl in that initial plane crash in the very first episode. And from that moment, his life was changed and had a religious epiphany and started a religion centered on Supergirl. Uh, so he starts inspiring others who have also been saved by Supergirl. Of course, this turns out to have a sort of dark side when people start purposefully putting themselves in danger. So Supergirl will save them so that they can be full members of this congregation. This all culminates in uh, the the man trying to uh, put a bunch of people in danger at a football game, I think, and uh, with some sort of Kryptonian reactor going on the fritz. But Supergirl is unable to save them because the Kryptonian reactor has kryptonite in it. Uh, so it takes humans helping her to save the day. So you would think this would cause the man's faith to shatter, but in the end, it just makes his faith more strong. We also have a subplot of some girls' night out and Sam really struggling to keep the work-life balance with her daughter and Lena and Kara and Alex all kind of saying they'll be ants to help out. Uh, and there's some nice girls' moments. And in the end, Alex realizes that she really does want to have kids and that's really going to be a problem. And that's kind of the episode. Right. So we realized at the beginning, or it took me a little while, but uh, then I realized that the reason Coville begins to worship Supergirl is that he was one of the passengers on the plane in the pilot episode of the show, and he got saved. Or he and the plane load got saved. And the first thing we've ever heard about this cult on the show is when a creepy woman accosts Sam at her daughter's soccer game and hands her a note about it or a pamphlet and encourages her, you know, says that she and her daughter are special. And it's um, just a bit disturbing, of course. But I also want to say I really like how they interweave the separate plots in this show. Um, you know, last Last episode was really, you had your A plot, you had your B plot, and they hardly touched at all. But they get a, did a nice job this time, I thought, of interweaving everything. Right, because uh, the Sam Ruby plot is really what kicks off the Supergirl plot this time. Uh, without mm -hmm. them having been saved by Supergirl previously, the cult would never have approached them, and Kara would never have learned about the cult, because Kara Danvers has never been saved by Supergirl, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a fair point there and you know one thing that's interesting about this guy who starts the cult you know when he's on the airplane he's obviously in a very <laughs> low place <laughs> because Bitter, he's trying dark. to like bring down the guy he's sitting next to he's like you think your life is good but life sucks uh which i was at the at the beginning i was like where is this episode going like <laughs> why do we have this guy like totally trying to tear down this guy next to him and then of course he has his near-death experience plus being saved by supergirl which causes him to just completely turn around his life right uh for better or for worse <laughs> yeah it's it's sort of a combination of how in times of crisis whether it's from a disaster or just personal crisis 
people turn to religion and it's combining that with hero worship and turning it into literal hero worship. Right. Right. It was it was fun to see Kara being so horrified at the thought of being worshipped. Uh, and it was, you know, you, you could certainly feel her distress that the worship of Rao, which she had uh, not forgotten, but certainly hadn't thought much about in a while, um, probably part of putting Krypton behind her and moving on with her life, see, seeing her religion uh, twisted. I I think it was interesting that we heard, I'm pretty sure that uh, Daxum was polytheistic, but here uh, they seem to be talking in a monotheistic way about Rao, or in a way as if Koval thought that Supergirl might be a sort of avatar of Rao, something like that. So well, we've never had it laid out exactly how religion works in on Krypton. Right. I mean, this is the closest we've ever gotten to a discussion of religion on Krypton, you know, and those of us who aren't super familiar with Supergirl, right, we come from Superman, but Superman would know nothing about his own religion other than what he's told via crystals, right? But he would have been raised good old Kansas farm boy, probably Protestant. Uh, Whereas Supergirl actually was a Kryptonian. So when we get that glimpse of her and her mom, you know, either saying, is it nightly prayers or, you know, some sort of uh, ceremony, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like a flashback to a a more peaceful time. uh, And she would know something about her religion. On the other hand, she left when she was 14. Uh, And I don't know how many uh, 14 year olds we all know, but uh, I teach middle school Sunday school. And let me tell you about how much 14 year olds know about their own religions. It's not Mm -hmm. very much. (laughs) Right. Right. She probably wouldn't have any deep, theological understanding of her religion more just you know some of the some of the rituals and and things that her parents had had her participate with them right she's gonna have warm fuzzy feelings about the things she's done with her parents and you know uh actually finding that book uh that the guy had might actually help her be able to explore her own religion more than she might have been able to do previously that's a good point i was also interested just by the whole idea of this guy collecting all the Krypton, Kryptonian artifacts that he could get his hands on, I would have thought that, you know, Lex Luthor would have snapped all those artifacts up <laughs> years and years ago before his whole plotline happened, before we even got to Supergirl. Um, <laughs> Maybe when he went to jail, he had an estate sale and all the Kryptonian stuff went up. <laughs> maybe so. Yeah, or maybe he most... Maybe the stuff that Lex was looking for was not the same thing that the preacher man was looking for. Because mm-hmm. yeah, Lex would have been looking for power stuff, and um, he wouldn't be looking for as much stuff. Wouldn't be looking for as much like information about the planet itself. Because something I've noticed a trend in the seasons is we started off learning like a little bit about the politics of Krypton with the Fort Ross prisoners. And then we started learning about more about their political relations with Daxum and the difference between theirs. And now we're starting to delve a bit into their religion and mm-hmm. sort of their religious beliefs. So I have a feeling that religion's going to play a large part in whatever big evil is coming at the end of the season. 
I think you're right. I, I certainly think we got a taste of that in the uh, scene at the very end with Sam's mom, where she had a vision. Do we want to talk about that now or circle back around to it later? I think we can circle back around yeah. to that later. Uh, but going on uh, Brianna's point of religion playing a large factor, I, I certainly hope so. It's not often we get to see religion explored in a television show. And of course, using a fictional religion is always a safe way to deal That's with that right. topic. Um, mm-hmm. And that said, I was kind of disappointed that we had this whole episode about religion and nobody else really mentioned, except James in like one line, mentioned any interactions with religion, uh, which is kind of like, do these people live in a bubble? Like, this is America. You can't walk down the street at Christmas without, you know, being accosted with religious iconic, you know, icons, wh- whether you're religious or not. So, uh I was kind of hoping for that James Kara conversation. I wish it had been a lot longer. Um, I wanted that conversation to go super in depth because yes, Kara is uncomfortable with being worshiped and she feels like her religion is being, uh, twisted as far as she knows her religion. But mm-hmm. if things hadn't gone a bad way, which was inevitable being a CW show, uh, <laughs> there wouldn't have been really anything wrong with what this guy was doing, you know? freedom of religion wise speaking, technically, you can worship whoever you want. And if he hadn't started putting people in danger, Kara really did change his life. Like he was in a bad place. She turned him around, he thought he was gonna die. And he's just spreading that news to other people. And uh, I kind of wish it hadn't gone to a bad place because going to a bad place kind of gives absolves Kara of wrestling with that issue that James brings up of you do save people. What's so wrong with them putting you on a pedestal other other than, you know, she feels like she's human and flawed. And I really want a deeper exploration of that with people who are a little less psychotic and willing to put people in danger. Yes, unfortunately, we're probably not going to get a lot of super nuanced conversations about that on this show. But I agree with you. I was excited to see that they're doing a religion plot and happy to see that it's not just a one one shot episode that obviously I'm pretty sure we're going to be seeing Koval again at some point. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but we, we are almost certainly going to see be seeing more about Rao uh, in later episodes. I, I definitely think we will see Koval again. And what I think might happen is because he's mentioned several, he mentioned several times throughout the episode that he wants to basically help her find her way because he thinks that she's a, he still thinks she's a god. He just thinks she's lost, which in a way she is. She's still dealing with a lot of loss and trying to find a new sort of balance to life. But I think there might be some point where in one way or another, Literally or figuratively, he's going. He will save her somehow. I'm just curious to see how. Yeah, I, I agree. Kara is lost. He's not wrong to see that mm-hmm. in her. She's still. I mean, that's what every episode this season has been about, right? Uh, her tr- struggling to put back together her life post Monel and what that means for Kara Danvers and what that means for Supergirl. Uh, she has, to a certain extent lost her way uh he's just of course going the wrong way about helping her (laughs) right yeah just just a little exploding (laughs) a hockey rink is not a good way to help people (laughs) 
But I feel like it's, you know, that's kind of a theme of the three plots we have in this episode being lost i feel like is kind of a theme i mean we have kara being lost in general uh we have sam who kind of feels lost in her work and like she's being disconnected from her daughter uh and uh we have alex who has lost her own desire uh for what she wants in life because of her love of alex uh, I said that backwards. Alex's love for Maggie. Right. So, uh, you know, we have these three women and, you know, then there's Lena being awesome as normal. She's such a badass. And I just, I love her character arc so far that she makes mistakes, but then she just turns around and keeps on going and she will fix it. I was really amused by her advice to Sam with Sam saying she feels like a failure as a mother because she had to rush off and deal with business, which, by the way, quashing a lawsuit in just one day, that that's the first time we've really seen superstar business ability on Sam's part. But anyway, um, Lena said, you know, no, don't feel guilty about rushing off. You're showing her that, you know, you can go off and deal with things. And you're so you're raising your daughter as a badass, which I, I just thought that was funny. And, you know, Lena speaking from no one can be the worst wor- mother in the world except for my own mom. <laughs> <laughs> and of yeah. course, she you know learned her own badassery from her parents, which were not a positive example, but at least gave her strength. <laughs> I really appreciated in this episode. I feel like this is really the first time we've seen a group of women supporting another woman in a CW show. <laughs> That is a superhero show, uh, let alone in Supergirl, which you think would be all about women supporting women, but instead tends not to be that way. This is the first time I feel like in a long time we've really just seen Supergirl or Kara and Lena just hang out as friends and Lena being part of Kara's bigger friend unit hanging out with Alex and Maggie and then just how they've brought Sam into that. And just as soon as she starts, you know, bringing up doubts, they just immediately start supporting her and saying, we'll be there for you. And then they all show up to the talent show or school play or whatever it was. I I just thought that was awesome because that that's not something I'm seeing in the flash or arrow or any of those other shows. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I like about that is they're not gathering together to support just anyone. They're supporting a single mom. Yeah. Because being a single mom is difficult. My mom was a single mom. And it's not easy. Just the fact that she's going to have this support system and all these cool aunts. It's, I love it. And, and they're all powerful women. I mean, from the outsider perspective, Kara is the least powerful in that she's just a reporter. Right. But Lena owns multiple companies. Sam is a CEO. Alex and Maggie are, you know agents <laughs> or a, an agent and a cop. Uh, but uh, none of these women are, uh, they're all feminine without being stereotypical and they're all supportive uh, without, you know, falling into cliches uh, and just that they're willing to be there for her when they're at a completely different point in their lives. Like mm-hmm. even if Alex and Maggie wanted to have a kid, they would, they would probably be anticipating like a, 
baby <laughs> and not like a, a middle schooler, right? Uh, but they're willing to support someone who's at a completely different life stage from them. And that's really nice. Mm-hmm. I actually have a small theory related to Alex and Maggie. At some point, I'm thinking they might sort of get temporary custody or like have to take care of a child that's sort of an oddball child, mm-hmm. kind of like that they are. So, through like through having to like interact or sort of watch that kid for a couple of days, Maggie might start to might start to see how Alex interacts with that kid and, and realize that maybe having a kid could add even more to their life. So I think they might adopt. I kind of it's a would dislike that. Um, yeah, it's certainly a possibility, but um, I wouldn't be happy with changing Maggie's mind in that way. If Maggie isn't in a place where she wants to have children, you know, I don't want... There, there are not a whole lot of women on TV that get to be, you know, no, I just want to focus on my career. Um, maybe Olivia Benson. <laughs> but I mean, uh, they, I I would like Maggie to be allowed to continue to not want children and have that be a valid life choice. And if that causes pain between her and Alex, that's just how it is. I, 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 I kind of don't want her to be converted to wanting children. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I think it's inevitable that this is going to cause the breakup because <laughs> no one can be happy on a CW show. <laughs> of course not. not. <laughs> you, you finally get a happy ship to sail and then they just kind of sail their ship off into what <laughs> looks like a wormhole of some sort. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm also just like, I, I know Alex proposed kind of in the heat of a moment situation. But I'm like, this is the kind of stuff you discuss before you propose. <laughs> Whether you're true. on the same page about children. Because <laughs> that is a deal breaker. Like that, that is the kind of thing that causes uh, marriages to dissolve. It's, so it'll be interesting to see how it uh, plays out and how Maggie handles Alex's newfound revelation in this episode that she really does want to be the mom sitting in the audience watching her daughter sing a little cute song. Yeah, that was that was really sweet of uh, of totally uh believable impassioned speech from Alex. I thought it was well written and really well acted. <laughs> oh, speaking of Maggie for a second, um I I just want to say, you know, in in some other uh episodes there's there's been the whole thing of what do you do with the police when there's a supergirl to, around to take care of everything. So I thought it was good that Supergirl acknowledged that she can't actually be everywhere at once. And that's one reason not to worship her and test your faith by putting yourself in bad situations. But I, I was also really amused that, you know, for once she was ask, actually asking Maggie for police help, but very unfortunately, the help that she asked for was against the Constitution <laughs> in that she was asking Maggie for help in suppressing this cult. And yes. Maggie was patiently explaining, uh, we can't actually do that. <laughs> Which I really appreciated because that comes back to the idea that until he actually does something wrong, just because this guy makes her uncomfortable because he's worshiping her, he hasn't right. done anything wrong until he does and tries to blow up a hockey rink. 
Uh, right. <laughs> well, he certainly did not disavow the arsonist, which was the earlier plot before we had the bomb in the arena plot. But he did, did not tell the arsonist to go out and set that thing on fire anyway. So, yes, that's Maggie is right. You could not have done anything legally about him at that point. Although, heaven knows, the DEO does not sweat the legalities <laughs> at other times. You know, on the other hand, I feel like if this guy was really thinking through this whole religion thing, I think technically everyone in the city has been saved by Supergirl based on the whole Daxamite invasion. Mm. So I'm not sure people need – do people need to be personally saved by Supergirl? Because the guy wasn't personally saved. The airplane was just saved. So it was a corporate salvation, if you will. So uh, I feel like the Daxamite invasion and Supergirl saving them is a corporate salvation for the whole city, and the arsonist was unnecessary. Right. And in fact, the whole world. I think the invasion is also the second – at least the second time she saved the entire city. Yeah. So – Unless that arsonist was just, like, not in the city when it happened. But those those hockey fans are probably locals for the most part. (laughs) Uh, So they totally would have been in the city. So I I think the whole city could join his cult, having been saved by Supergirl, multiple times. Right. But there you get into, I guess, the the cult mentality. A lot of people have been saved by Supergirl, as you say, already, but have not turned her into an object of worship. And I suppose uh, part of that might be how close to personal your Supergirl salvation was. Um, But uh, part of it also would be how much you need to believe an authority figure who's going to take care of things, take care of you, take care of things for you. Um, One of the people on Slack, uh, I believe Alan was talking about a an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that this reminded him a lot of where there was a I believe a cult of people who wanted to be turned into vampires uh has either of you seen that want to talk about it I haven't watched that show in a while but I do I do remember it somewhat there was a cult of people that were trying to be turned into vampires and there was also in a different episode I believe the thing where people would go and like let vampires drink their blood just so they could sort of have that experience. So sometimes when people start to idolize a certain type of mystical being, they have different reactions to it. Some of them can get definitely border on cultish. Yeah, I. So I, I've seen that episode, uh, and I've seen this, and and I think they're related, but I also think they're different because the vampire cult. Uh, it, it was not – they wanted to be vampires because they wanted to be young and beautiful and live forever. This is definitely more of a a, a religious thing. And, and I think I, – I really wish the episode hadn't gone with the guy was crazy and tried to kill a bunch of people. Uh, be, hmm. uh, but uh, I, I feel like sometimes in America we're flippant with the word cult and what that means. I, I, I am a Christian. I am very religious. I teach middle school Sunday school. Technically, Christianity is a cult of Judaism. By definition. And, uh, you know, but in, in modern lexicon, we've kind of made cult to be like, you're brainwashing people, uh, which fine, was this guy brainwashing people? Maybe, but these people's lives were legitimately changed for the most part by Supergirl. And, uh, you know, to James's point, uh, what right does she have to say that they didn't change her life? 
you know, uh, sure, James doesn't worship Superman, but it's pretty close. Uh, mm. You know, to his point, he's like, my prayers have never been answered until Superman. And Superman has saved him multiple times. I mean, there was like a whole arc about how he calls out to Superman first and not Supergirl, uh, I think in season one. Uh, I mean, to him, Superman is a very real, very present savior figure. I, I don't think he's worshiping Superman in a religious sense. But, you know, these people are worshiping Rao and they think Supergirl is Rao's avatar representative, or at the very least, you know, brought to Earth by Rao's divine will. And who is Supergirl to tell them they're wrong? Like, uh, Krypton did blow up. Supergirl did end up on Earth. If Krypton, if Kryptonians really believe Rao is an all-powerful god, which I am not sure, <laughs> you know, then who are we to say that wasn't Rao's will? Uh, and I just feel like, you know, I would like a more nuanced discussion of these things, you know, in the episode, which we probably won't get because once again, TV, uh, other than <laughs> flippantly being like, oh, all these people are evil, <laughs> you know, because it makes Supergirl uncomfortable. So they have to be evil in the end. That's the only way it really goes. I noticed in the first meeting with them when he was preaching, it felt to be a lot like an altar call. It makes sure of like it. Right. It, it felt like an altar call. And then. Later on, when they were when they were trying to stop the bomb, some of the ways that he said things made it sound like he thought that Kara was Messiah. Right. Mm-hmm. I think there was a direct correlation to Rao as God and Kara as Jesus. Uh, I mean, to the them praying in Jesus's name or Kara's name, right? Uh, to Rao, which technicality, but. Technically, when you pray in someone's name, it doesn't mean you're praying to them, but whatever. Uh, it just kind of means like you're signing the prayer in that person's name. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's kind of like it, if, you know, Rao is their high god, uh, Kara is their Jesus, their Messiah, their, you know, avatar of their god walking their earth, their god incarnate there to save them. And this is a reference back to the first episode, but... The moment when she was in the water, she had her arms outstretched. She was in a Jesus pose, and you could yeah. probably argue that she was being symbolically reborn. Mm. So that ties into religious imagery as well. And, mm-hmm. and Man of Steel and uh, Batman versus Superman were all about religious imagery with Superman. I mean, that's very much tied up, I feel like, into Superman and Supergirl, that they are superhuman and they do save people right well if you look at their powers they would stand up against uh, a lot of the greek gods and demigods sir absolutely um and you know other religions too i'm just <laughs> familiar with that one um yeah i mean certainly you you could uh, make an argument that it, it could be a valid religious choice for some people um i guess i'm uh Without devolving into a long discussion about what cults are and stuff, you know, obviously once you get into the position of putting other people's lives in danger in order to, quote, save them, obviously that's a bad way for a religion to go. Sure. It's it's the whole snake biting thing, right? Right. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Christianity, generally a respectable religion. When you start adding snake bites to it, 
Right. People well, don't even like it. The snake handling religions generally are expecting volunteers, not right. throwing random snake <laughs> strangers into, into a pit of snakes. <laughs> Let's throw a snake into this crowded theater. <laughs> Please don't go throwing snakes at people. It's not nice. <laughs> no, this Supergirl Supercast does not endorse that behavior. <laughs> Definitely not. And yeah, e- even in, uh, I think, snake handling, which I know very little about outside of the X-Files, let's be honest. I I think that's usually like a snake that's used to humans and it's not just going to like start killing everything around it. Whereas kind of setting off a bomb in the middle of a hockey stadium is uh, everyone's just going to (laughs) die. Yeah, I I, I just, you know, for the first like 20 minutes of the episode or so before anything goes wrong. You know, they they could have kept that. I mean, nothing had to go wrong, and it could have been an exploration of Kara's uncomfortableness with being worshipped, and can you worship a god against their will? That's an interesting question. But then he had to go blow up a whole bunch of people. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so by the way, Koval, unlike everybody else on this show, instantly recognized Kara Donver's reporter as Supergirl. So he saw her without the costume. So <laughs> though her hair yeah. was down and she had no glasses. I get, um, yeah. But of all the people on that plane, he was the one person that saw her. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he was probably the one person on that plane that needed something to believe in the most. Yes. Yeah, that could well be. Um, he, he was definitely one of the lost back then. And this was a way he found to find himself and put himself on a path he could believe in. Uh, But anyway, it's interesting that he's keeping her secret. So that kind of makes me feel a little more that his, that he's having a genuine religious feeling because if he were just trying to manipulate the situation, he would probably tell her secret. Uh, Well, maybe, but anyway, he's, he immediately tells her, You know, he doesn't have to wait to, he doesn't try to bargain with her or anything. He just immediately tells her he's going to keep her secret. And I thought that was an interesting choice. I kind of liked it. If he didn't truly believe in what he said he believed, he would have used her identity as blackmail to get himself out of jail. But instead, the last image we see of him is him praying either to her or for her. Or both. In a I think cell. he said it was both. Yes, mm-hmm. and both. the sun was shining on him. And is it Rao kind of a sun god, or am I mixing that up with Egyptian mythology? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I don't think we've had any specific knowledge of that. But I mean, a lot, whole lot of religions use light yes. uh, as mm-hmm. as a either a metaphor or an actual part of the religion. Another piece of religious imagery I noticed was when the, when she used her heat vision to burn the holes straight like all the way down and then they shoved the bomb into it it was kind of like they were sending it into hell I thought of that too yes and and apparently wake up a devil <laughs> yeah so it's they, they, they sent a bomb into hell and woke up the devil good job guys <laughs> <laughs> well Probably still better than letting all the people at the arena die. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I, I did think there was a missed opportunity for Kara to talk to, um, and I can't remember his name, 
but John Jones's father, you know, she's, she's dealing with a religious group and she has a religious hmm. man <laughs> that she can reference, even if it's a different religion, but, uh, Presumably questions of theology and religion are something that someone who has dedicated their life to a religion would have to deal with and could have, you know, helped develop that character and uh, maybe introduce us a little more to what the Martian religion even is. <laughs> That's a good point. I would have really liked to see some of that. It's it's hard to see where they would have squeezed it into this episode, though. Yeah, I, I think we will see some of that, of them talking together in later episodes. I think there might also prove to be a sort of similarity between the Kryptonian religion and the Martian religion, and that there was the two classes of the religion. There was, like, the good guys and the bad guys, and we've seen hints that there is a darker version of the religion that was on Krypton. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it might be similar to the thing between the green and the white Martians having the different beliefs. But it won't be as obvious to tell which, like, who believes what. Yeah, that that definitely gives me, uh, it makes me think about, of course, uh, Old Testament kind of Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, uh, Joseph and all of his other brothers. There's always a chosen son and always a not chosen one, right? And that's kind of what Green Martian versus White Martian uh, made me think about. And so it'd be interesting to see if Krypton has a similar dichotomy, uh, and then, of course, we, you know, I think this all relates, of course, to that ending scenario with Sam, which I have no idea what was going on there. <laughs> yeah, I think we can talk about that now. Yeah, um, it, it was kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. So, so we have the ending, what seems to be just an ending montage where Kara is praying. For some reason, she's in her Kara outfit wearing her glasses and everything, but she's praying to Rao. And uh, then then you see uh, Alex crying in bed with Maggie sleeping next to her. Um, and then you see Coville in his prison cell uh, praying with light on him. And, oh, I wrote down, let's see, what were the words? Hang on. Uh, this isn't my prison, this is my salvation, he said to Kara earlier, and he said, I'll pray to you and for you. And then, so so later, uh, he's praying in prison, and then we see Sam, uh, looks like she's getting ready for bed, she looks over in her bathroom mirror, and she sees, like, runic symbols all over her face and her skin, and uh, then she sees behind her a hooded woman whose face goes back and forth in like lightning flash style from you know a young woman to some kind of creepy <laughs> creepy looking creature um and like a demon maybe yeah yeah maybe like a demon absolutely um and the entity says to sam in rouse in rouse fire you are born and one day soon you will reign and I believe that's the first reference we've heard to Rain, which we all think is the character Sam is going to turn into, which in the comics is, a, a as I understand it, a fairly standard two-dimensional villain, but obviously that is not what CW is, or Belanti or whatever, is planning for Sam. So, <laughs> Is she bound to turn to, to become a villain, though, is my question. I, I think that is the question. 
I think she's at least going to be complex. Which is good, but since she has grown so much on Earth and just from what we've seen of her, she doesn't seem like the kind of person who would turn evil no matter where she comes from. There is a no, chance would, that she could fight it and become something else. No, I would be really disappointed if Powers just turned her evil like uh, Killer Frost. Like the Flash, exactly. <laughs> like Caitlin uh, suddenly becomes Killer Frost, uh, a remorseless killing machine. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think in general, Supergirl has been a little better, not with villains, but with complex people and relationships um, uh, than The Flash has. So I have hopes that we'll get to see inner conflict with, with Rain, and, you know, maybe they'll even go in a different direction and let her be another superpowered person who is just figuring out what to do with herself and her powers. Well, going back to Brianna's idea that, you know, religion could be a major factor in this whole season, you know, it'd be interesting to see if it's setting up Kara as some sort of Messiah and uh, uh, Rain as some sort of, you know, the what the woman who is like goading her wants to be is some sort of like Antichrist, if you will. And then, uh, you know, if she's on this path of darkness, can the Messiah even save the Antichrist? Or will the Antichrist have to save herself? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see where they go with this arc. Yeah, I, I did want to say this was a really interesting episode with a lot of interesting themes to think about. I think, uh, I think it's uh, my favorite episode so far this season, which mm-hmm. four episodes in may not be a huge benchmark, but they're fa- setting up uh, some fascinating possibilities uh, for where we're going to go from here. Maybe we'll eventually get some hint of where in the world Bonnell went. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is bugging me so much. Did he travel through space, time, or Where did he go? You gotta give me something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I I would be horribly disappointed if we never find out what happens to Monel. I think we might not find out until next, until the spring, though, because I think this whole uh, fall season is about people being lost um, Mm -hmm. and and trying to figure out what their path is. I, I think they've signaled pretty clearly that that is... That is what ha- what is happening at least this half of a season, and and I think it's interesting an interesting path. Um, I've I've complained before about some other shows that resolve things all in one episode that could easily have been explored for three or four episodes or a, <laughs> or a whole season, but uh, and you know you got some of that with with Supergirl, but I'm also really happy that they are doing some foreshadowing, doing some callbacks to previous episodes, uh, letting some of the characters breathe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just, just you know, there was just one line where James asked Wynn uh, if, if he wanted to go bowling tonight. And, you know, I love that they have lives beyond the plot, <laughs> the plot of the week. Um, I, I love that you can see that they all have lives and that, you know, we're only seeing a slice of that. Yeah. That's why I love how they included the girls night and they were talking about like, 
they, it started off something like they were talking about dating people. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. That was an interesting little anecdote of Lena's where she was talking about she was at something and it looked like some guy was was going to hit on her. And then all of a sudden he asked her um, whatever it was. Have you been saved or, or whatever? His Have you been baptized? Was. Right. Have you been baptized? Um, and uh, then they they went off, you know, talking a little bit about religion and stuff. But yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I I loved, I loved their conversation. I have a feeling that at some point, because I don't think Sam knows about what happened with Monel yet. Right. So I I kind of want to see just like. Kara and Sam, like over like ice cream or coffee, just talk. He just sort of. Kara just opens up to her about what happens and have a right. bonding moment there. Okay. Right, yeah, because she wasn't ready to talk about it tonight, so she just said that her former boyfriend moved away, which is <laughs> uh, a very... <laughs> it's one way to put it, yes, but it leaves a heck of a lot out, and it certainly doesn't sound like someone who should be grieving six months later. Or, well, I- I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. You, one can certainly mourn for someone who just moves away, but there's there's a bit more to the story in Kara's case. Yeah, I'd also like to have seen just more Lena and Kara talking about it, because I feel like Lena has never asked Kara about how she felt dating an alien because mm-hmm. Lena knew Monel was an alien in the end, uh, mm-hmm. and she still thinks Kara is human. And I feel like that is still a hot topic in their world and something friends would talk about. Like, how do you even meet an alien? You know, like, and in this case, I think I have to believe that they've already had that conversation. Yeah, I just wish I, it was I not I can't screen. believe that they would have just not talked about it for yeah. this long. We just haven't heard it. Also, this season, is Lena going to find out that Kara's Supergirl? I really thought she was going to find out at the end of last season because I thought <laughs> you had to be stupid not to put it together at the end of last season. But maybe Lena's just in, like, serious denial. <laughs> I have hypothesized that, you know, maybe with the closer contact, she'll find out just before the mid-season break. That, you know, it'll lead up to that and she'll find out just before the mid-season break and then... Uh, in the spring, we'll find out what the ramifications of that might be. But, you know, that that is totally my read on what the plot might say. It, <laughs> it's not any outside knowledge or anything like that. Yeah, that'll definitely be an awkward conversation. <laughs> but I feel like since Lena's so close to both of them, that she'll be more understanding. I hope so. I hope so. I think there's a stronger possibility of that now because instead of Kara being one friend that Lena could just turn her back on and write out of her life, she's now part of a web of friends that Lena is is uh, becoming part of. And <clears throat> I think it would be harder to walk away from Kara plus four other people than just Kara. You know, even if she feels betrayed, the others would be there to talk it out with Lena. I just, I love that friend group. It makes me really happy. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Because they they don't talk about saving the world. They just sit around and talk about boys. (laughs) Eating ice cream, probably watching cheesy movies. Right, boys and problems of raising a girl and, you know, uh... 
I, I, I have the feeling that they have some pretty wide ranging conversations. I, I, I think yeah. they talk about life. And, you know, for Kara and Lena, that involves dating. Uh, you know, for Maggie and Alex, that involves coming nuptials. And for Sam, that involves her daughter. And I think they're not limiting it to any one thing, which is why they can go from talking about boys to talking about raising daughters. <laughs> right. They're just talking about each other's lives and, you know, things they want to talk to their friends about. So I think we've covered most of the show. Are there any other issues that either of y'all want to discuss? I think I covered all of the notes that I took when I rewatched it. Agreed. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we would like to thank, well, first of all, I'd like to thank Brianna and, and uh, Mandy for joining me on the podcast tonight. We would like to thank The Incomparable for hosting the podcast. We'd like to thank our wonderful sound editor, Seth Heasley, for doing his magic. Um, and we'd like to thank all of our listeners. If you'd like to join in the conversation with us, there's a Facebook group for The Incomparable, or if you're one of the sponsors of The Incomparable, uh, if you have a subscription, uh, you can join in the conversation in the Slack group. We'd love to hear from you. What did you think about the episode? What do you think is coming? Uh, any other thoughts you want to share? So thanks again, everybody. Thanks again, everybody.